0: So from a mathematical point of view, you could say, whoa, the modern construction of a separate solo self is actually a violation of a complex system's ability to adapt and learn. So then then it was like, oh my God, then if that's like the splinter in the soul of modern psyche, this modern psyche, then is there a way we can actually build on indigenous requests and contemplative requests
1: everyone ragu and i'm back with mind rolly and dan siegel and dan is an old friend and we're just trying to catch up because it's been a few years like around the time ramdas left and welcome dan ragu thanks for having me it's great to be here with you so dan has a new book out uh, it's called interconnected uh, and the last time we talked Dan, we were. St- I'm still working on that from the movie of me to the movie of we with Duncan Trussell. <laughs> so, and we talked about we, me, and we as the integration of self identity and belonging. And uh, th- this is uh, very masterfully done, Dan. I mean, I, I really got a lot out of it personally, and I think everybody out there will. Of course, we will have all of the links to uh, the book is out. To uh, to connect with it on uh, uh, show notes on mind rolling, okay. But the first, very first thing, and and as much detail as you possibly can. Yes, you know what's coming. I got. We have to share with people that that experience you had when you were around twenty years old on a trip to South America, and what that did, and really, it's like informed
0: the rest of your life. So can you please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because the last time you and I were together, we were with Ram Dass uh, and a bunch of all of your, our friends, including Jack Cornfield. And this story, it was an experience I had when I was 20. But it wasn't until over 30 years later, you know, Jack uh, uh, and I would have lunch for the first time. And he said, you know, how did you learn about this mindfulness stuff? And as far as I was concerned at that time, I didn't know anything about this mindfulness stuff. <laughs> so he said, no, no, you, you know about it when I said I didn't. And, I, and then for some reason, I started telling him the story, which I'll tell you now, which is that, you know, when I was just about to turn 20, I was working for the World Health Organization uh, and an anthropology professor of mine from college. Um, studying uh, folk healers, curanderos, in uh, in Mexico. And um, it was really a, a very exciting um, journey to meet all these different healers and speak to them. And I was given the assignment to go from this little town, Talapa de Diaz, up to Huautla, which is where the queen of the mushrooms mm. uh, lived. And... Um, this was featured actually in a in a Netflix documentary called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. It's actually not in his book, but it's in the documentary. So anyway, I, I, I get up early one morning and I uh, go with a colleague of mine from the UN um, and a young boy we're living with to go the horseback ride. It was about a four hour horseback ride to go interview her. And in the course of setting out, and I loved riding horses, Uh, we started a full gallop, you know, into the hills and it was romantic and exciting. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm in a clinic and my face is pretty much destroyed. And the doctor who was one of the Western doctors, I was also studying, um, to compare them to the folk healers, um, you know, had this big hypodermic needle by my face, you know, kind of laughing and I lost my teeth. And anyway, um, What had happened was, my colleagues tell me, that the saddle got loose, went to the horse's belly, my feet stayed in the stirrups, so my head was dragged, they tell me, you know, about 100 yards or so on this rock-strewn road that we were on, and um, they thought I was dead. Um, Then when they heard me moaning, they thought, well, at least I probably have just broken my neck, you know, and I... I didn't break my neck, but I would not only destroyed, you know, my aspects of my face, but I, um, I lost my identity. I, I had no idea who I was and I was like wide awake, maybe even more awake, you know, and super aware and things had no names to them. It was like this nameless world where everything was like new. So like if they put, this liquid stuff, which I wouldn't have the name liquid, but we might call it water now into a cup. You know, I would look at it and I just start laughing because it would like be this shimmering thing and it would drink it through my broken teeth. And, you know, and I would just be laughing a lot, but I, I kept on saying, which is also kind of odd, you know, like, who am I? Where am I? What is this? You know? And I was aware, but without identity, And that lasted for about a day, about 24 hours. And as my identity slowly came back and I realized my history, you know, where I had been before the accident, uh, who I was in college and my family, my friends, that kind of thing. There was a certain kind of, I don't know, sadness about it. It was like almost like being trapped in some narrative that was constricting rather than liberating And, uh, you know, as I went back to the United States to get my teeth and face repaired, uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe it was a brain injury or maybe it was an existential issue. Why my sense of myself even afterwards was different. It was like lighter and uh, more kind of I, I wouldn't take things so seriously, even though I could still get pretty neurotic about things, but it just had a different quality to it. And you know, I, I would share it with a couple of friends, but soon as the weeks went by and the months went on and years went by, I just kind of forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, this experience with Jack that I ever actually discussed it with anybody. And then as, as he and I began to teach together, um, sometimes I'd briefly mention it, but I was always afraid that people would say, Oh yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, you have a brain injury, and so you can't really think clearly or something. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't really want to talk much about it. But when I was writing IntraConnected, it really felt like, you know, that experience of having no identity but being totally aware was a personal, personal example, a lived experience that awareness is very distinct from our narrative identity uh and that lets the book kind of go on a journey to say well what what actually is identity what what does it mean to have a self and how is awareness related to the self and how does self and identity relate to belonging because when i was without identity i kind of felt like i belonged to the whole universe you know not just to a particular whatever country or family or you know name called dan you know so so that's the story and uh I never did meet the queen of the mushrooms, but uh, people you tell did. me that was my own version of getting stoned on the rocks. You know? yeah. yeah, literally. But, but what's
1: interesting is, you know, people have uh, experiences like this, you know, radical trauma, physical trauma, and they lose uh, amnesia, right? They completely don't know who they are, what circumstances, anything, but fear comes. This sounds like it was the opposite of that for you. You did not have fear in the relation to not having any sense of,
0: well, who am I? You know, it's so fascinating, Raghu, because that's a really interesting issue. Um, Yeah. in, In the, in the case of this body, you know, A, B, C, D, I put on the zoom calls, you know, a body called Dan, you know, in the case of this body, the experience was a lot of laughter. And I felt like connected to everything. And I wasn't um, you know, I, I don't I don't recall, and I was pretty much remembered the the experience. I don't recall being scared. I was curious, like somehow, this is kind of a weird aspect of it. Somehow I knew there was an identity to be known that I just didn't know. So how I knew. There was such a thing. Um, hmm. That's kind of interesting. Um, but uh, so that that general way of going, well, you know, that's so interesting. I don't, I have no idea how, how I got here or where I'm going or like, who am I? You know, why would I know to even ask that? But I did. So hmm. it wasn't like, you know, and sometimes in meditation, we can get into this deeply open, spacious, pure awareness where you don't have questions like that. It's just, being with the whole of experience. But so this is a little different from that, but it's certainly, you know, I try to explore this in terms of neurological terms. It certainly was a temporary knockout of whatever aspects of the brain construct a narrative identity. So we have lots Mm -hmm. of aspects of identity. One of them is, you know, like, what is the story of you, you know, and who you think you are? And literally, how would you, write it out, you know. So whatever that was that has a name, you know, in my case Dan or your case Rabu, you know, it's it's not uh it's not the wholeness of who we are.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. You I know? I love though during that time when you were in
1: the clinic or whatever, you kept Saying to whoever was around, um, could you? Who am I? Would you mind yeah. let me? And they would say, "Well, you're Daniel," you, but you told the whole,
0: you know, and and still it would elude you during the time. It, it <laughs> would just not sink in. It, it, I don't know if I couldn't remember what they said, but I kept on asking them again and again. Um, and I suppose, in a deeply philosophical sense, you know, we're always asking, like, "Well, who am I?" Because I think culture kind of gives us a view that we are nouns rather than a deeper truth that we're more like verbs. So we mm-hmm. try to mm-hmm. land identity on a noun-like entity identity to try to get certainty, you know. But instead, the truer place of our existence, I think, is verb-like emergence of, of processes that can't be, you know, delineated as being an entity, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I think that's something you learn from your parents and your school and they say, you know, okay, write your name down on your test yeah. report or whatever. Uh you know, so so I think at least in that horse accident, I think it was um an accidental as Jack would say he he laughed his head off. He said, you know, you got by accident what people try for decades to get with meditation. And I, I literally, when he said that to me on the phone after we had parted from lunch, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, well, people try to lose their, you know, because I thought he meant people meditate to try to break their bones of their face. You know, <laughs> so, so he was laughing at his head off. He said, well, you know, it's about losing identity. But even then, I, I, you know, at that moment, this is, you know, almost 20 years ago, you know, at that moment, it was like, why is that a good thing? And now, you know, I understand in a very different way over these last 20 years of, you know, learning about, you know, formal contemplative practices, you know, having some time with Ram Das and talking to him about, you know, ways of thinking about this and mm-hmm. uh, going to different, you know, retreats and And I can see what Jack, you know, was laughing about, you know, because that idea of um, loosening up the fixation on a noun like narrative identity is, in many ways, many traditions. They may not word it that way, but that's kind of at the heart of what they invite you to do. You know, this is exactly as I read through this, and I
1: thought about, you know, what Jack was talking to you about, and so on. This was exactly it gave a whole. A framework for what happened to those of us that went back to India with Ram Dass when he went back the second time and met Neem Karoli Baba. Because, and that incident is what happened. It was like being hit over the head constantly with a hammer. You are not that narrative. You are not that story you're telling yourself. You are not your senses. It was exact. Of course, he didn't say anything like that and didn't teach in, in that way at all. But that's what happened. We had this breakdown. After Each one of us, happily, too, in the same way that you were happy, we were happy. Not all the time, yeah. obviously, when we started to catch up with the the reality of our motivations and dark stuff and being around this kind of a mirror was really difficult. But
0: basically, we had the same thing happen. That's what I thought after I read this. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, this is, this is where, you know, there's a word, consilience, which means, mm. you know, coming to similar fundamental principles through independent means, you know, whether it's, you know, science or contemplative practice or indigenous teachings. And here, you know, you're talking about your experience collectively. And um, I, you know, I wasn't in that generational movement to India, um, but I certainly could resonate with it. I know when Ram, when, when Be Here Now came out, you know, I was in my early teens, you know, and I... I read it and it was like, I could feel something happening. This is way before the, the horse accident, but I could feel something happening like, oh, there's something much more mm-hmm. than the the story I've been told about what this is all about. And it was really um, powerful powerful for me to see that book. And, and I, mm-hmm. I remember it even to this day, reading it in my family breakfast room, and just going, oh my God, this is, there, there, there's something waiting outside mm. of the school experience mm. I have, outside of what my friends mm. are saying there is. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know.
1: amazing, amazing. So I, I want to actually just read a little something to give people a, an, an idea of the totality of what you're getting at uh, with this book. Um, If a node functions as if it is the totality of its identity that belongs only to its nodal part in the system, it will behave in a disconnected way, interdependence will shut down, and the whole complex system will lose its ability to adapt and learn. Its self-organization toward harmony will be compromised, and instead the system will move towards chaos or rigidity. If the human mind has constructed a view of the self as separate, it may be that the body, a node, has come to identify itself as the whole self rather than the self also including the whole of the systems in which the node, the body, exists. In medicine, and this is such a great analogy, in medicine when this happens to renegade cells in the body, that grow without regard to the complex living somatic system. We call it cancer. Yeah. Maybe just parse that out a little bit for people.
0: Yeah. I mean, thank you for reading that. You know, I, I, I got to say the journey of writing this book um, was inspired by so many things, Uh you know, the community that, that you're a part of, you know, including Ramdas and and Jack Cornfield, and so many others, you know, Joseph, Sharon, yeah. all, all, all the whole gang, you know. Um, I'm new to that whole world uh, and I come from a different space of, you know, science and, you know, clinical practice and medicine and stuff. But, you know, in writing the book in that passage, I remember writing it here in this very space, you know. Um, I, I wanted to lend um, a kind of scientific foundation for I think what contemplative wisdom has been saying for thousands of years and when you look at indigenous teachings too across many different indigenous groups they've been teaching it for thousands of years independently from the contemplative practice so there's a real amazing consilience Um and so science is new to this ancient conversation. Um, and as a scientist, i I wanted to just bring, you know some scientific perspective to these ancient sources of wisdom, right? And so, in many ways, it's not new. the The new part about it is the integration piece from a, a branch of science, which is basically mathematics that looks at what are called complex systems. And this this really emerged in the 1980s. And in the 1980s, you know, some mathematicians and physicists got together and said, let's study these, these interesting systems called complex systems. They're systems that are capable of being open to influences. They, you know, are, are capable of also being chaotic. And they're also what's called self-organizing in that they... Um, have this process by which they adapt and learn in the interdependence of their different constituent elements, right? So that ability comes from a nonlinearity, one of the other key features where a small input at one point leads to a large and difficult to predict outcome. So by proposing that the human mind is some aspect of a complex system which is something i did years and years ago when it came to contemplative teachings and indigenous teachings it seemed like optimal self-organization which creates that harmony might be useful to look at identity you know and and you know, the way you achieve this optimal flow this flow of harmony is by differentiating on the one hand, allowing things to be different and linked on the other. So when you excessively do one or the other of those things, it leads to a massive disruption in the the natural flow towards harmony. Mm. So it seemed like the narrative of a separate self, a self we can just call like a solo self that's only in the body, was actually excessive differentiation and huge impediment to linkage so from a mathematical point of view you could say whoa the modern construction of a separate solo self is actually a violation of a complex system's ability to adapt and learn so then then it was like oh my god then if that's like the splinter in the soul of modern psyche this modern psyche then is there a way we can actually build on indigenous requests and contemplative requests hey be careful of this separate self-business and then use the science of complexity and say come on let's listen to our ancient uh, wisdom holders who've been saying this forever so this is not a new thing but let's use the science of complexity and then look at you know the medical analogy which is you know the body is a complex system sure but it's part of a much larger system of all of life, and all of the universe, actually. So, you know, in um, even in the the you know Ram Dass' book with Mirabai Bush, you know, walking each other home, yeah. Um, there, there's a beautiful way when you really dive into this idea that we're a part of a much larger whole. That when the body is ready to die, you're going back to a space of possibility that is not the end of life it's a fundamental part of the emergence of life and so you kind of change from a narrative of distress and despair oh my god the body's going to die to kind of one of joy and just say look I, i i got about 100 years to live in this body and when this body goes it's not the end of things it's just the beginning of another flow of things and And that's from a scientific point of view. I'm not even saying it from the idea of reincarnation or something, which might exist or might not exist. But independent of whether that exists, you are still a part of this much bigger whole than just the narrative of you're a separate self. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly
1: uh, as well, uh, I like this because you do address the pandemic and uh, I really love this. Uh, So you're talking about, uh, of course, there's COVID-19 and you talk about the other pandemics, which is social injustice, which is environmental uh, destruction, is misinformation and polarization. And a fifth is uh, attention addiction. Boy now we got uh, chat gpt we're really going for it right yeah. and then but then the sixth which is is the one that's really core to everything you've put into this book is the modern culture which you just mentioned or what some might call western view of an isolated separate identity the solo self and uh, it may have originated in the West, in European-originated origin or originated colonialist nations. One would have to very much assume that as uh, a reality. It's now spread across the globe. And uh, it's not just the inner private aspect of who we are, but rather the concept and belief that the totality of our identity is separate from others, especially others not, quote-unquote, like me, which is... To to me, this is the core. Uh, you know, I totally agree. But I, I'd say this is the core pandemic. Really, it really uh, the uh, if if we could transform this in any degree, I think it would address every other issue that
0: you brought up as a as a pandemic. I, I completely agree, and um, the the big invitation in front of us is how collectively. Uh can, you know, I would say mui do this, meaning,
1: you know, yeah, we talk don't,
0: about mui, yes. Yeah, well, but we don't we don't need to get rid of the inner in order to embrace the reality of the inter. And when you kind of bring that withinness and betweenness into a wholeness, that's where the intra connected word comes from. A you know, a made-up word. But uh I was on a retreat uh with a bunch of system scientists and we were in the forest distributed throughout this forest by our individual selves. And um, when we came out, everyone was saying they were interconnected and interlaced. And they used Thich Hans' beautiful term, interbeing and interwoven. Mm. They were mm. interconnected, uh, uh, all these wonderful interwords. And then it was my turn to speak. And the feeling in this body was, you know, it wasn't a betweenness. It was a, a wholeness within so that it wasn't like there was the body of Dan connected to the trees and the creek and the rocks and the sky, I was the sky. I was the trees. I was the body. I was the river. I was the stones. I was the sounds. I was the light. You know, and that lasted for three days. It was really awesome. <laughs> and uh, And then we came back to talk to one another in our separateness. <laughs> and, but then when I had to find words for it, it I just couldn't use the interword. So that's when I said, well, I don't know what to call it, but I guess I would call it, I don't know, connected. And when I got back to where we were staying outside of the forest, the word processor wouldn't let me type in intraconnected without <laughs> yeah, switching yeah. it to interconnected. Yeah, yeah. And I thought there must be something wrong with the dictionary. And I looked it up and there was no word for the connectedness within the whole, which was really kind of stunning as a, a lack of something Because when we don't have a word for something, it's hard to actually both share it with one another and also even think about it. So, you know, I know one of my colleagues said, why, why do you need another word? And I said, yeah, we don't need other words unless we need a word for something. And in this case, you know, we, which is saying you don't need to give up the me to really realize you're also the we, so you get the me plus we is we, the, the, Corollary of that is you can be intra-connected, which includes these um, ways we're connected both within the body and and within the wholeness of of the whole system of life. Mm. I love that. I, I don't know if it was
1: this particular retreat that you went to, but maybe it was. But how the pando tree that you came—I never heard oh, of yeah. it before. Yeah. The fact that uh, all of these amazing trees are just part of one organism—I mean,
0: oh, it was stunning. In fact, it, it was literally—I mean, this is how life would have it. You know, uh, I was working with these system scientists, and we were going to go up to Colorado um, for our retreat, which was great. It was all planned, and then at the last minute, um, you know, a colleague of mine called and said, I- "I'm taking fifty religious leaders up to the Pando Populus forest," which I thought was I guess he meant in LA, like we're going to just go for like a a day thing. He goes, no, 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 no. It's in Utah. We're going for like three days. Can you go? And it was like literally right before the Colorado thing, which I was committed to going to. And I said, well, I guess I can go to Utah before I go to Colorado. Sure, I'll go. So we went and I had never heard of it either. And it was like literally 48,000 seemingly separate trees, quaking aspen trees is what Pando Populus Uh, it it refers to. Um, But when we got into the grove, they had me do this thing called the wheel of awareness in the grove for everyone to kind of experience a meditative practice where you can feel the wholeness of everything. Um, And the naturalist told us the story, which is that six inches beneath the surface of the soil is the finding of a common root ball, one root ball, from which 48,000 Trunks arise from the one tree. And when they've gone around the whole grove testing the DNA, it's the same tree. Wow. So, what that means is that it's among the largest and oldest living organisms on earth. So, it, it, you know, if you get a chance to go, it's really beautiful. But just even the idea of it, what it metaphorically stands for, on the surface, we think we're separate, you know, these 48,000 separate trees. No, they're just expressions of a common root ball. Just like, in many ways, these bodies are the nodes that are the expression of possibility into actuality mm. that gets its expression. It's a seemingly separate thing, so it's understandable people would mistake these for forty-eight thousand separate trees. But no, it's the same tree.
1: Mm.
0: You know. So yeah. Medieval. So that was the same two-week period. One <laughs> one part of it utah then the next part of that was up in Mm. colorado so i came back you know i everything was like on fire inside Mm. of me when i Mm. came back and i was like oh my gosh this is like wow yeah yeah good good karmas there they would say in india very yeah Yeah. it was it was really um and i think when you experience nature like that and you know there's some books written uh about awe, by one by Dacher Keltner, that mm. uh, looks at that. You get this experience of the interconnected whole. That you get, you get an expansion of who we are. I know when Dacher and I were teaching recently. You know, traditionally awe is considered a self-transcendent emotion, along with, you know, along with um, gratitude and compassion. So I said to him, I said, you know, what if we change that word? from self-transcendent, meaning you're going beyond the self to actually self-expanding. And, and Raghu, I want to ask you a question. You know, when I was starting to write Interconnected, I really th- thought a lot about this issue. You know, should I take on the word self in that book and say, look, modern culture has defined the self as the same as the individual, the individual body, right? And when we live that way, we create all the other pandemics, so that maybe we need to really challenge how we define what this center of experience, if you want to use that phrase or what the self is and when I started talking to you know some people about it, they go, you know you took on the word "mind" and you made it different from brain you know thirty years ago, but self is the individual why why are you going to really do an impossible task like have people consider that the word self is not a synonym for the individual. So I thought about it long and hard. And I thought, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe I should just say, Hey, you know, our relationships are important and, you know, and that's, and that's a good thing to say, but it felt like the narrative self that says, this is who I am that gets influenced not only by your parents and teachers, but by the messages in social media and the mm-hmm. media in general, keeps on reinforcing this constructive view of your center of experience as being your body or people with bodies like yours. So then it all kind of started falling in place. And I said, you know something? I don't think this will be a really popular book because it really assaults a basic presumption. Self equals individual. And that's not going to make it like, everyone wants to read this fast like let me reduce stress or something like that you know which is a great thing but this is not like that this is like saying let me create a little stress by saying <laughs> a, a word that you've assumed your whole life may have too narrow a definition so what do you feel about that i mean maybe i took on something that you know maybe wasn't worth taking on i mean i no, i'd love to, i'd love to know your view of that oh well i I really,
1: I was fortunate, again, I go back to Neem Karoli Baba, but having an experience with someone who was no longer polarized inside, there was no me and you. He was a complete me. I mean, he was integrated. And to experience that was to understand that how I identified with that Self, that story, the habitual patterns and the neurotic tendencies and everything that I had picked up, which I fought against. I couldn't understand it when I was in my teen years and, until I met Ram Dass and he gave me some vocabulary that I was able to understand that there was that is not who you are. And then, of course, experiencing that directly was was a big leg up. It really was. But I ascribe to, you know, I love, um, we did a, we do stuff with Bob Thurman. I think you know Bob. Sure. And, uh, you know, he has a really wonderful, entertaining way of relating Buddhist uh, um, philosophy in a way that people could understand. I mean, just take it, they don't have to be Buddhist, they don't have to be in any of the isms, and you know, is a real gift that way. And uh, I especially around emptiness, which is a really difficult uh, concept for Westerners to grasp, because it's, it, it just inevitably gets into a nihilistic thing. There's nothing. And Bob has a great routine about that, really. but nothing? What? Nothing. There's no nothing anyhow uh but uh but the reality to me and when we talk about self is the complete commitment we have to what's developed and you oh the beauty of your book here you know you 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 talk about it from infancy to childhood to to school years and so on there's a progression of what we pick up and creates that Self and and the um, the Buddhist antidote is to realize that is the attachment to that uh, the hard um, it's it, we're like hard cases in a way that we are so fixed on this attachment to uh, certainty. there's no there's no allowance for even a little bit of curiosity about it sometimes. Uh, but the way in which we are, we have such a fixed view of that self, um, it's it's a breath of fresh air, honestly, for you to recount, uh, I mean, to, to give uh, a possibility of another way of looking at how me and we can be integrated and we don't, you know, we're not dependent on this. I mean, that's a lot of what's gone on in this country, you know we are independent and we're going to stick with that and yeah. you know and and so we see you as as an other immediately and not just right wing left wing all of us are doing this kind of thing so yeah. i think getting at the the idea that we can empty out that deep deep attachment and fixation on self so that it be so we become
0: you know uh, Well, we become
1: interconnected.
0: Interconnected, exactly. Well, that that's very powerful to hear you reflect on that because, you know, it 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 can be, um, first of all, as a scientist, it can be very lonely in general when you start diving into these deep questions of identity. Mm. Um, But as a practitioner of you know of therapy, um, you know, the field of mental health has actually drawn on this idea of self-actualization and self-realization and self-emergence and, you know, self-regulation, all these things with self-meaning the individual. And yet we haven't had that much positive impact with that stance. So even for the field of mental health, which is part of what I'm you know involved in, it, it relates to it. I, and I just came from a, a climate crisis meeting of how to help people live toward the commons and you know, the the comment I made at that convening was, you know, exactly what you're saying, that at, at the root of these pandemics, including the pandemic of our climate crisis and racism, all the ones you mentioned, you know, might be almost like a, I, this. And I don't think this is excessively simplified, but it's almost like if there's a splinter in someone's foot and they're hobbling along limping, and you say, hey, let's pause for a second, because you're limping, you're throwing your back out, it's hard for you to walk, you know, this is really hard. Let's, let's pause, let's take your shoe off. Let's take your sock off. Let's look at the sole of your foot. Oh my gosh, there's a splinter there. Can you let us remove it? Okay, thank you, thank you. Now let's let it heal, put the sock back on, put your shoe on, and now, oh my gosh, you're walking straight. You know, in this integrated, harmonious way. So the feeling, as I was writing the book, was, "Oh my gosh, what if, what if the splinter of the modern mind in modern society is in fact this simple error that self equals individual?" Now, if that's true, then you say, "Well, well then what is self?" So I, I went from a scientific point of view. I went to review every study I could find on self and tried to find their common ground. And their common ground had three aspects to it: subjective sensation, the felt sense of that self-experience that was trying to be studied, perspective, the point of view, and agency, you know, how you acted in your behavior, you know, this source of intention, if you will, of will. So those three spell fortunately an acronym, SPA. And then I said, well, hold on. So if it's subjective experience, S, perspective, P, and agency, and that's how scientists across all the different things I can find are actually, even though they don't name those three, that's really what they have in common. Mm. Then let's just call that self-experience. So where is that located? Is it is it only in your head? Is it only in your skin case body? Or can you feel the subjective experience of a loving relationship with another person? can you feel the perspective of a relationship within a family or, or agency on behalf of a larger whole, the family, a school, a a community, you know, a whole city, a a state, a country, the whole world. Mm. And then, then I started realizing, wow, it's like you have, what would we call it? Okay. Let's call it an identity lens where just like a camera, you know, you can look close up. That's fine. You can really look at a flower and see that flower and it, Maybe go to its stem and then see it's part of a larger flowering tree and then see the whole tree. And then, whoa, there's a bunch of trees in a forest and the forest is in a whole region, etc. So you can widen your lens of identity. Yeah. But it's always about basically energy flow and the feeling of it and subjective sensation, the perspective of it and your point of view and agency, how you put that energy to action in the world Mm, so then i thought okay then there's self-experience and that gave me the fortitude to say i'm going to try to write a scientifically grounded book in in human development that shows where the messages we get from parents teachers peers media the world at large in modern times that that self-experience is only inside your body is actually killing us Mm. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, we can remove the splinter, and have this—you know—it's called self-control, but have a construction of self that has this ability to use an identity lens to see. You have the close-up. Sure, you have a body, and you have your relationship with people you know and, and care about. You have relationship with people maybe you don't know that don't even look like you, but they're still you. You see, when the you gets this wider lens that opens mm-hmm. up, and so you know i um that's that's why i wrote the book and it's it's been fascinating you know some people like you really resonate with it and some people get confused by it like hmm. well isn't self just the individual why why would you say it's not you know and and those are often not meditators so they haven't had the direct experience of hmm. you know having this self expand um but all the research shows is super clear the more you can expand the self beyond its solo, excessively differentiated thing, not only you're happier, but you're actually healthier in demonstrable ways we can test. And so I think it's going to be a win-win-win thing because mm. the world is kind of waiting for us to wake up from this. Really, it's not only an error, it's actually a lethal lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's killing us. I love what the Buddhists, you know, they have a term self-cherishing. Mm. Where, yeah. where self means the individual.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Yeah, because, see, this is where it's interesting and this is great to to build off of that. So, we often use the word like the, that term you're just saying, self-cherishing, to just make self equal individual. Or mm-hmm. in, in Buddhist practice, you know, there's often the saying, there is no self. Well, and so... So I can see going there just and but I think what they mean is there's no solo self or the individual as the totality of who you are is an error. Um and I'm totally with that. And and yet when we use words like self-cherishing, um yeah, immediately you know, yeah <laughs> you can go like that, or yeah, even uh, even like um, you know, there's a beautiful field called self-compassion. And I've urged the people in that field to rename it inner compassion because we need we need some word to talk about the fundamental experience of being alive that is not just limited to your skin in case body now maybe we should just invent a new word but it seems like self serves that you know it's a good word that way but maybe not maybe we should just say forget it let's have self equal the individual and let's let's come up with another linguistic term for you know both the individual and the wholeness of our connection to all of life. Um, I, I don't know what word that would be, but but so I don't want this just to be a linguistic game. Yeah, it's really more about it's difficult. where is my center of gra- gravity, right? where's Where's the way I know what's going on, you know? Well, we have to deal with it from a starting point where we all
1: are. Because, Mm -hmm. as you say, we grew up with all of these influences. We grew up with that name. As soon as we got that name, we became this big me and identified in that way. And uh, giving people tools, which the Tibetans have done for ages and all other mystic traditions have done for ages, is really about how to transform that limited concept. We can just call it that. And then when you talk about the splinter a lot of many people, most people, they're going to live with that splinter. In, mm-hmm. in it's a crazy thing, but we are what we are used to. You call it, I think, and I may be wrong. The, the what the
0: default mode. What what's the exact wording? The uh, yeah, well, so so that is a term from neuroscience of a default mode network. That's you know, a, it's a good network. It's Not that it's a bad network, but when it's excessively differentiated. It can be responsible for a narrative, basically, that says, you know, who I am is only in this body.
1: Yeah, right. So yeah. you
0: that you return to that and you don't even consider
1: that there's a possibility to take the splinter out. You're going to live with that. We all live with a lot of stuff that we're carrying around. Uh, you yeah. Know. Uh, neurotic tendencies and so on and so forth.
0: And ironically, you know, p- people sometimes ask why, if this is such a problem, you know, creating all these pandemics, w- w- why would we do it? Wouldn't we go to a healthier way? Well, here's, I think, one of the um, possible reasons why we we do that in modern times is because um, the brain I- in our heads is a prediction machine. And it tries to get a feeling of safety by having some kind of view of certainty. Yeah. And when you view the self as an entity, so you say my identity is an entity, it's a noun-like thing, and I know it's defined by this name and this history. Well, then you get some kind of view of certainty. Now, on the Brooklyn Public Library entryway, the, the artist Rashid has a great quote, having discovered the flimsy fantasy of certainty... I decided to wander. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Isn't that something? So mm-hmm. her view of the flimsy fantasy of certainty is exactly what we're talking about, that there may be a, a a real resistance to releasing the hold of the splinter of the solo self view because it has a flimsy fantasy to it that we're clinging to, hoping that mm-hmm. we can say, for certainty, this is who I am. I'm Dan, you know, I'm in this body. When yeah. that nounification of identity, ironically, rigidifies life. And then you try to live with all the, the, the outcomes of actually falsely thinking you're a noun instead of realizing the deeper truth, you're a verb. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh,
1: our mutual friend, Joseph Goldstein, one of the great, uh, teachers in this country as far as I'm concerned and uh, he was at a retreat with us and a young man was driving him around I've told this story a billion I'll tell it a billion more times because it's the essence of it all as far as I'm concerned anyhow this young man who had you know, been on the path only recently said to Joseph you're an experienced teacher Joseph can you give me one piece of advice that would help me Navigate my path, and Joseph just immediately turned to him and said, "Stop clinging." And it's that clinging to that yeah. sense of of the separate self, the story, everything that we've been talking about. And without that clinging, you're still operating. You're still doing stuff in the world. The ego still carries on. You know, as uh, who was I don't know. Ramdas used to quote this all the time. Ego. Is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. I mean, that's that's
0: you know part of what we're talking about as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's um, in, in terms of the servant and the master. You know, I mean, Einstein has that quote about the intuitive mind. Hmm. You know, is is mistaken now as the servant rather than being the master, and the the intellectual mind, the rational mind, uh, should be the servant, and it's flipped around. You know, it's the same thing. I think we've rationalized our way, just as you're saying, uh, into clinging to a hope that this experience of being alive can have some kind of certainty as an entity. And the way we do it is make the self the solo self. And so it's understandable. And and yet, if you just read the IPCC report, you know, March 2023, that says, you know, we have about 10 years to really do everything all together all at once, you know, to really make a difference. Um, And this is our moment as a human family. This is our moment to say, can we wake up and realize, you know, we are related to our descendants. We are related to our ancestors. And our ancestors in modern times have made a big, big error. They've defined the self as the individual that we're calling the solo self. And this may just be the, you know, Joanna Macy, the activist Mm. beautifully Mm. says, you know, we need to have a great turning, which she says may require a quantum change in consciousness. One of the reasons I wrote the book Interconnected was a a gift to honor Joanna. And I talk a lot about her Mm. in the book Mm. to say, you know, the quantum shift in consciousness may be, in fact, realizing the verb-like nature of we, that it's intraconnected, rather than the noun-like nature of me as a solo self. Yeah. So, you know, I think together, our human family in modern times can do this. We can learn to use these objects called smartphones. And, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have them. And now all these human beings are running around, distracted on them. Why can't we do something as simple and liberating with the joy that's there, the love that's there, the connections that's there to realize we are much more than just the skin and case body. It's not to say your body's not important. I mean, sleep your body, exercise your body, enjoy your body, feed your body, stretch your body, all these great things with your body. No one's saying get rid of your body. What we're saying is that who you are is much bigger than the skin and case body. Yeah. And so the freedom that's available, I think is there for everyone. I just hope that we can really let go of that clinging that Joseph, who was my first meditation teacher, by the way, you know, yeah. um, In that silent retreat I did years ago um, that we can let go of that clinging. Mm -hmm. And what you need to embrace then is what initially may be scary, which is uncertainty. And that may be why some people are scared if they have a loss of identity. But ultimately, that fear of uncertainty gives way to realize that the synonym for uncertainty is freedom and possibility. Mm. You know, yeah. So yeah. that's what's available to us. We're we're kind of
1: at the end of the of the uh, podcast, of the time. But I have to call out in this. I mean, Dan, um, we could do three, four, five, six podcasts and keep going on with. I mean, I. This is the book, everybody. Okay, look at uh, this. My flags. Okay, <laughs> I got a lot of flags, and I could add more. So, um, but I I do want to call out uh, in the the, um, the wonderful indigenous wisdom traditions that are represented in this book, and and these, and you call out these two Dutch filmmakers. Uh, Ingborg Ertinger and Thomas Robers. Um, I don't know where if that if what they did because it was filming, right?
0: Yeah. Is, is there any way that our audience can get access to absolutely, absolutely? And you know, I I saw these this documentary that those two documentarians made. I actually went to Holland to meet with Thomas, and we had a long talk about it, and and we got permission. To use that, uh, and and I transcribed it myself, literally listening to the documentary and typing really? out what they said, and confirmed all the spellings and stuff with with the indigenous uh, uh, elders who who were interviewed. It's called Rooted Messages, R O O T E D, and then Messages. And I don't know where Thomas has it. He had it on YouTube, and it was free access. He was going to turn it into a more you know combined set of um, of Interviews, and I'm not sure where he's at in that process. But if you just put that into your your search engine, rooted, rooted messages, rooted yeah, messages, rooted messages, you know, it's really worth listening to the elders speak. Uh, you know, these are wisdom holders from many different traditions around the world. They certainly were inspirational um, for this body. You know, to actually work on interconnected. And I, I feature them at the very beginning of the book because. I want to make it clear, you know, indigenous teachings are so resonant with contemplative teachings and science is just coming late to that invitation. That's thousands of years old. And now we're just a few dozens of years. So that's fine. You know, we all need to get in on this invitation to realize who we are is much more than our Mm -hmm. individual self. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to close this out, I want to read one last thing,
1: uh, uh, from the book that is uh, from the from this from these guys that did this wonderful doc, uh, and this is from a, a, um, a shaman Vandria Borari of the Borari Indigenous people of the Tapajos region of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. For us, the Mother Earth is sacred. The river the forest, and the animals, they complete our lives, and they are the reason for our existence. So it is urgent that all the people of the planet need to reconcile and connect with nature. We need to value all forms of life. We need more love. We need, we need more humanity. And we need to accept our differences so that th- then we can combat planetary inequality we need more love and we need more humanity mm. and that's a, a gigantic message and I, I thank you dan for for this book uh, it's uh i i think everybody out there it is absolutely uh, something that can help reveal the ways in which we can go from the movie of me to the movie of we which is, the, is my favorite subject and uh, dan and i've been discussing this for a few years so thank you much and of course uh, all of this will be available in the show notes on mind rolling on be here now network and we will see you again
0: next week thank you dan thank you ragu thank you everyone